Blog Talk Radio. Good morning, everyone. This is Johnny Tan, author of From My Mama's Kitchen, Food for the Soul, Recipes for Living. Happy February and welcome to From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio Show. My guest for this morning is Amy Newmark, the publisher and editor-in-chief for Chicken Soup for the Soul. Amy and I will be having a conversation about their first book for this year, Chicken Soup for the Soul, Believe in Miracles, 101 Stories of Hope, Answered Prayers, and Divine Intervention. Good morning, Amy. Welcome to From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio. Happy New Year to you and hope you're experiencing a tremendous start for 2020. Oh, well, thanks. Yes, so far, so good. And I'm very excited because today is the day that Chicken Soup for the Soul Believe in Miracles goes on sale. And I'm very excited to see how it's received by our fans. Wonderful. That is fantastic. It is a pleasure to have you on the air with me this morning. Chicken Soup for the Soul Believe in Miracles is a very inspiring read. It reminded me that miracles happen every day somewhere in the world, and that's fantastic. So congratulations on its release, and I wish you tons of success. Yeah, we do really well with these books about miracles, and we try to put out one or more a year about miracles, angels, divine intervention, amazing coincidences, messages from heaven, all of these spiritual, amazing things that happen to people. Mm -hmm. I think what really matters to people is hope. And I've, I've had people come into our office and look at our bookshelves and say, I need hope. Mm -hmm. And even if you have a great life, Sometimes you need hope about something. Right. And I think that we show people that all of these miraculous coincidences and answered prayers and mysterious healing and divine intervention and apparent angels and messages from heaven, these things happen to regular people who often are not people who ever would have expected that. They're the most down-to-earth, practical people mm -hmm. Not religious, not spiritual, just like I see what I see and that's all there is. And then <laughs> things happen to them. And then they write about them for us because they are they say, I can't believe it happened, but it did. Mm -hmm. And it really opened mm -hmm. my eyes to the fact that these weird good things can happen. So that's why these books are so popular and that's why we love making mm -hmm. them also because it's really fun to put together mm -hmm. a bunch of stories mm -hmm. like this. Well, one of the beauty of Chicken Soup is the fact that you guys allow people that just have a story, not necessarily a book-length story, but just a story to share with everyone else and help others at the same time. Yeah, and people, they don't do it for the money. They do it because mm -hmm. they want to share their stories. As you said, they want to help other people. They want to, sometimes they just want to put it down in writing because it helps them to process what happened. And sometimes we'll get thank you notes from people whose stories we didn't choose, but mm -hmm. they still mm -hmm. say thank you so much because in writing the story, I was forced to recall the whole event. I relived mm -hmm. it. I shared it with family members. It was a great experience reprocessing mm -hmm. the whole event um, because you know we do get thousands of submissions for each book mm -hmm. and we can only publish 101 stories but it is cool because somebody who has one great story to tell obviously can't write a whole book but right. it's so satisfying for them to get that one great story published by Chicken Soup for the Soul and then the very cool thing is that the bookstores view the individual writers of each story mm -hmm. as authors who have every mm -hmm. right to go and do book signings. And so our writers do book signings all the time at Barnes & Noble, at independent bookstores, at gift shops that are also selling books, mm -hmm. at dog shelter events, whatever. Like often they'll <laughs> do book signings that benefit a charity. But right. they are authors who actually can sign these books and have every right to be the author at a book signing. And so that's very exciting for people also. 
That's wonderful news. Totally wonderful news. Do Chicken Soup get feedback from readers about specific stories that impacted their lives? It happens all the time. We constantly get letters and emails from people who say either that one of our specific books changed their lives or Mm -hmm. that one specific story did. I know a couple of weeks ago, uh, my assistant was talking to somebody who had read Chicken Soup for the Soul, Think Positive, Live Happy, which was our Mm -hmm. big bestseller in the fall of 2019. And this woman said that she had been going through a really tough time and this book completely changed her life. And she said that as she read it, she started reading slower and slower Mm -hmm. because she Mm -hmm. didn't want the book to end. And I thought Mm -hmm. that was so cool. That's amazing. That's really wonderful. It's funny because in your situation, it's great. One outlet is for people to tell their story. And then the other side of the equation, which is actually respectfully far more important, is the feedback that you get from people getting the benefits of the various stories. I know. I had um, a very religious woman tell me that what we do is like a ministry, you know, without any specific religion associated right, with right, it. Right, 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 right. It is right. like a ministry because we are helping our writers so much, whether we publish them or not, and then we're helping our readers so much. So even though it's a lot of work, and I basically work seven days a week unless I'm on a vacation. When I'm on a vacation, <laughs> I really try to be on vacation. But when I'm not on vacation, I'm working seven days a week, and it makes it worthwhile for me mm-hmm. and the whole team, I have this amazing team of editors who have been with us for years, and we're all very passionate about this. And we're always sharing stories about the people who wrote the stories and also the people whose comments we've read, who have read the stories. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it makes us feel great knowing that we're making such a big difference in people's lives because we know, as the people who are reading and editing the stories, we know how much the stories have helped us in our own lives. Right, right. That's the ripple effect that we don't even realize because we're working in it, right? You get so many stories, and I'm sure it's a tremendous challenge to pick only 101 stories, but in the course of reading all these stories, I'm sure it impacted you in some shape or form. Oh, yeah. I've probably read, between the stories we've published and the stories we haven't published, I've probably read you know, 100,000 personal revealing stories where people are, you know, really sharing the most important Mm -hmm. milestones in their lives. And then I'll find myself giving advice to people, relatives or friends. (laughs) And I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, it's like I'm a psychologist who's read all the case studies. You know, I I kind of feel like I'm halfway to being a certified psychologist now because I've had so much exposure, you know, to the human condition and what works for people and what doesn't. And when somebody says to me something that's going on in their own life, life, Mm -hmm. I'm like, oh, well, we had a person who wrote about that and blah, blah happened, you know. (laughs) So I'm, I'm able to call on all of these stories. It's definitely made me a lot wiser about the human condition, yeah. and it's actually made me so much more grateful for the life that I have, and mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. made me, you know, count my blessings. It's made me really use the power of forgiveness. I mean, there are so many ways right, working right. on these books um, have improved my own life and my own personality. I think I'm a much better person because of it. I would think also that at times when you look at it, just during those moments of wobbling within oneself, the book, the stories give you a certain amount of validation. Hey, I am doing okay. Yeah. I mean, when I was diagnosed with cancer, I thought, okay, it's my turn. And I've read all these stories, you know, thousands of stories Mm -hmm. from people who had cancer and they got through it and they were brave and they did this and that. And I thought, well, I'll just do the same thing. You know, like it gives you a roadmap for whatever happens in your life. Right, right. So please tell us about the pictures selected for this book cover and the chapter page divided. They are really wonderful. Yeah, we've been doing so well with our covers. So, I mean, I used to like our covers in the old days, but I have to say Mm -hmm. I really prefer our new covers. So what happened was a couple of years ago we sat down and we looked at 
which books were selling better than others. And mm-hmm. I had an epiphany because we had a book called Random Acts of Kindness that had done really well. And I said, why did this book do so well other than the great topic, Random Acts of Kindness? Mm-hmm. I said, the cover looks like literary fiction. Literary fiction is a category, mm-hmm. you know, um, but it looks like literary fiction. And I said, we have to start making all our covers look like literary fiction. <laughs> and so uh, we started doing that. And Believe in Miracles, the book we're talking about today, is a great yeah. example of that. So this is a composite. We took um, we took a sky, but I think I made the sky bluer and happier looking mm-hmm. instead of mm-hmm. stormy looking. We yeah. had this weird kind of misty mountain that was very surreal that's not anything you would find in real life this kind of blue mountain and then we placed this woman on top of the mountain um and we put her in this pink dress and i mean our graphic designer used so many different elements to put this cover together Mm -hmm. and it just conveys what we want which is that these stories are magical and mystical and mysterious and Mm awe-inspiring and I think the cover really does convey that and then we also embossed it so embossing costs extra money for a publisher Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but it makes the book seem more special so we embossed the title Believe in Miracles and we also embossed the subtitle 101 Mm -hmm. Stories of Hope, Answered Prayers and Divine Intervention so we worked really hard on putting this together, and I think it came out really great. I'm glad that you like it. And then we have this other picture that we put on the back cover and also inside, and it's just this quiet but hopeful picture where a woman is sitting looking at, I don't know if it's a sunrise or a sunset, probably mm-hmm. a sunset, but she's sitting on a dock looking out over a lake, and it's just quiet but you can see it's quiet and peaceful and she's thinking about something and we're trying to convey to our readers she's thinking about what's going on in her life and a miracle could happen for her as Mm -hmm. it did happen 101 times in the 101 stories in our book. Right. The feel of the book, everything that you have mentioned, the one word that comes to mind is comfort. It's very comforting. And you know what? The title, Believe in Miracles, mm-hmm. it gives people permission. It's saying it's okay for you to believe in mm-hmm. miracles. And I think this would be an amazing book to share with someone who is going through something, going mm-hmm. through some mm-hmm. kind of challenge. This book would be a great comfort, as as you said, because mm-hmm. it's really like – like holding a support group in your hands, right? Mm-hmm. Like if you went mm-hmm. to a support group and everybody was talking about the things that happened to them, I was going through a challenge and then this miracle happened or this amazing coincidence or whatever it was. <laughs> you know, and imagine how comforted yeah. you would feel if you were sitting, you know, in a circle with 20 people and everybody was sharing their stories. Well, here you can pick up in your hands this portable support group with 101 stories from real people mm-hmm. who weren't expecting anything good to happen to them, and then it did. So true. Can you share with us the chapter topics covered in this book? Oh, sure. Um, It's funny, a lot of the chapter topics are even names of others of our books. But um, (laughs) the first chapter is called Miracles Happen, and it's just people who had no expectation, and then a miracle happened. The second chapter is stories about divine intervention. third chapter is really cool stories. Um, about lost and found items and the ways that people found them will just blow your mind. And the fourth chapter is called Everyday Miracles because sometimes it's just these little things in our everyday lives. Fifth chapter is about things that just cause you to say, how did that happen? So that's the title (laughs) of that chapter. Sixth chapter is called Perfect Timing, and it's, you know, divine coincidence, divine timing. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Seventh chapter is Answered Prayers. Eighth chapter, Amazing Coincidences. Ninth chapter, Comfort from Beyond. Those dreams about a loved one who has passed away or some other sign from a loved one. 
And the tenth chapter is Miraculous Healing, and we have some incredible stories in there. And then the eleventh chapter is called Angels by Our Sides. Even though we did a whole book about angels in late summer of 2019, uh, we always get so many great angel stories. We decided to do a whole chapter about angels in this book. So it's, it's really fun. I mean, there's so much variety. That's one of the things. When you do get thousands of submissions mm-hmm. and you only have 101 spots, you can have tremendous variety in the stories that you share with readers. So you're not going to read about the same kind of miracle over and over again. You know, if we had 50 right. stories submitted about a traffic accident, you know, being miraculously <laughs> avoided. Maybe three of them made it into the book, but not 50, right. even though all of them were really amazing. Have you or do you know someone personally who had experienced a miracle? I don't know that I have. I mean, I guess it just, just depends what you believe. You know, I just, mm-hmm. I'm just i just one of those very practical people, so I don't know mm-hmm. that I would ever say I experienced a miracle but so many people tell me about miracles, and uh, at least one of those stories made it into the book. The um, the very first story in the book, I was out to dinner with a couple mm-hmm. last fall, and they told me the story of how they met, and I said, you have to give me that story for the book. So, <laughs> I, you know, And my husband always laughs because I meet people, and I'm like, I want that story. And I'm constantly making people give me their stories for our book. What is interesting, though, and I like that story, by the way, too, in Chapter 1. I believe you were talking about Mark and Maggie by Mark and Maggie Damon. I can't wait to share that with everybody who's listening. Yeah, That's wonderful. It's interesting. I've known you now, oh, my gosh, close to 10 years. And it's amazing as you start up this journey, right? And then when you start running into people and I can see you like yeah, I want that story. <laughs> oh, but it I'm was... <laughs> constantly asking people. I mean, it's, my husband really laughs at me because I'm like writing it down, giving them our website, telling them how to submit right. the story. Which, by the way, right. for everybody listening, if you want to submit a story to mm-hmm. Chicken Soup for the Soul, you go to chickensoup.com and then you click up top on um, I think books, and then you'll see you mm-hmm. know a me- on the pull down menu will say submit your story and it's really easy to submit your story because we if you click on that you'll see a list of all the topics we're collecting stories about then you'll see our story guidelines which are really helpful Mm -hmm. and then you'll also see this form that you have to fill out to submit your story so it's a very easy process to do it Um, and then if we are interested in publishing your story then we reach out to you and mm-hmm. we are extremely um, deferential to our writers, so we don't make any edits that they haven't approved. Uh, we really work with them as a team, and we show a huge amount of respect for our freelance writers, and they're always mm-hmm. commenting mm-hmm. that we show them more respect than almost anybody else they work with because mm-hmm. just the fact that we don't edit their stories without their approval makes them so happy. Right. What I like about it, you do want to have the so-called 101 flavor that's unique, the writing style, the tone, the angle, or however you want to call it. It gives the book texture. It does, because you really do feel like you're talking to 101 different people, and we make sure that even in the editing process, we don't somehow make everybody sound like me. You know, so we try to leave, we try to, we respect their voice and leave it Mm -hmm. in their voice. So true. Is there such a thing as preparing ourselves to experience miracle? I think if you, if you have a positive attitude and you incorporate Uh hope into your worldview, then even when you're going through a challenge, if you're receptive to the possibility that something good could still happen, Mm-hmm. then you are opening yourself up to experiencing an amazing coincidence, a call out mm-hmm. of the blue from somebody you needed to speak to who you didn't know how to reach, and it's been 20 years. Whatever it is, mm-hmm. you open mm-hmm. yourself up to that possibility, and you also are more likely to notice when something good comes along that you can avail yourself of. It's like how they say, 
you know, people who have good luck, it's because they right. actually see the opportunity and they seize it. I think in a lot mm-hmm. of these cases of miracles, it was because people kept their eyes open that they were able to right. use this miracle experience that came along, this amazing coincidence that came along to help them. Right. They pay attention. And believe it or not, we're not talking about like lightning strike here, even though situations can be that dramatic, but Sometimes miracles happen very subtle, so you got to pay attention to it. It could be that someone you haven't spoken to for five years calls you, and then mm-hmm. you mention something about what you're going through, and then they say, oh, I know this person. And then instead of saying, no, 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 you say, who is it? <laughs> and then you find out they're best friends with somebody who right. wrote the book that is like the best possible book that's going to help you. Yes, you have to be more open so you don't by accident turn away the amazing right. coincidences. So true. What would you like for the readers to gain from reading this wonderful Believe in Miracle book? I want them to come away with hope, with comfort, with a more positive attitude, with more certainty that they'll get through whatever challenges they're getting through. Or if somebody is reading the book and is a perfectly happy person, just read it and be amazed and entertained and know that you're preparing yourself for when some challenge does come along because you will have prepped yourself already to have that more positive attitude. And I'm also hoping that every single person who reads our Believe in Miracles book wants to then pass it along to somebody else. That makes us very happy. Wonderful. By the way, you're listening to From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio, our podcast available on Apple's iTunes, Stitches Radio, Blueberry Podcasting, TuneIn Radio, Mixcloud, and Google Play. I'm Johnny Tan, your host, and my guest for this morning is Amy Newmark, the publisher and editor-in-chief for Chicken Soup for the Soul. We're having a conversation about their first book for this year, Chicken Soup for the Soul, Belief in Miracles, 101 Stories of Hope, Answered Prayers, and Divine Intervention. Amy, let's talk about some of the stories, and I know we talked a little bit about Chapter 1, Miracles Happen, about the story Mark and Maggie. Please tell us about the beautiful story. So this is so cool. So I was having dinner with uh, Mark and Maggie Damon, who are quite well known, actually. Uh, Mark Damon was a film star uh, back in the 60s, 70s. He um, was this American guy who went over to Italy and lived there for at least a decade and was the star of all these spaghetti westerns. (laughs) which were very popular back then. And then he got out of being an actor. And on his very first film where he was going to be a producer, um, his co-producer, who had been his director on the films where Mark had been the star, um, his his co-producer called him up and said, well, the actress we were going to have in this film, um, she can't come. So we have to get a different one. So the film they were making was um, a remake of um, Spartacus, and they were going to have women playing the two warriors instead of men. And so uh, one of the warriors was Pam Greer, and the other one was supposed to be an actress named Julie Ward, but she couldn't come. And so Mark's co-producer said, I have this woman named Margaret Markov, who I've lined up instead. She's a very good actress. She's worked with Pam Greer before they co-starred in something else together. But she's Mm -hmm. going to cost $750 a week instead of $500 a week. I mean, this is back in the 70s, right? Mm -hmm. And that's a lot of money. (laughs) Yeah, so Mark said, I'm not paying $750 a week. That's ridiculous. You you have to pay the $250 extra yourself. I'm not agreeing to this. But then his his co-producer, Roger, said, no, we're going to split it. So then Mark said, okay, fine, we'll split it, because he decided, hey, it's the first time I'm producing a movie with mm-hmm. Roger Corman. I should you know, go along with this. So then um, Margaret, who goes by Maggie, went over to Rome to shoot the film, and she met Mark in the lobby of the hotel, and he was a lot older than her, um, mm-hmm. but very attractive, and He took her and Pam Greer out to dinner, but he was kind of annoying because he kept flirting with Pam the whole time. And (laughs) Mark said, well, I mean, he was just being a stupid man. 
He said, well, I flirted <laughs> with Pam because I thought that would make Maggie interested in me, which, of course, does not work, guys. Um, <laughs> but anyway, he he had just turned 40. She was 24, so, you know, 16-year age yeah. difference. Um, but despite the fact that she took an instant dislike to him, they started dating. And, you know, when you're on a film set, everything is kind of intense and mm-hmm. everything happens fast. So this great romance started between them, but before they even really knew anything about each other. So then one day, a few weeks into it, they were talking about, you know, their favorite movie, favorite food, favorite music. So she said, well, I saw my favorite movie when I was 12 years old, but I don't know what the name of it was, but there was this, the star of it was this man, and he came walking out of this burning building and he was wearing Victorian clothes and he was so handsome and he had black hair and green eyes and I told my mother right then that someday I was going to marry that man. Well, Mark was absolutely stunned because she was describing the movie The House of Usher, which was mm-hmm. a film that was directed by Roger Corman, the mm-hmm. who was now Mark's co-producer on this new film and Roger had directed Mark in the House of Usher. Mark was the star of the House of Usher. Mm-hmm. That was one of his best-known scenes ever. And so he said to Maggie, that was me. The man you said you were going to marry when you were 12, <laughs> that was me. I was 24 at the time. So it was incredible because, you know, they they already really liked each other. And then Maggie said, like, this, this was the guy I said I was going to marry when I was 12 years old. So anyway, this is why I said to them I had to have their story. <laughs> and it actually got even better than that because then later on um, they went for a picnic and she came on the picnic wearing like picnic clothes, like a babushka kind of bandana around her head, mm-hmm. and long blonde braids and mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, he remembered a dream he had had as a young boy. And in the dream, he had seen this woman wearing that scarf around her head, the long blonde braids, a picnic in the woods, just like what he was doing right then with Maggie. (laughs) And all of a sudden, it came back to him. And he said, I had a dream about this woman who looked just like you. And in the dream, she said, don't worry, we'll meet again someday. (laughs) So anyway, they are now... um, 70 and 82 or 84 and mm-hmm. still very much in love. You know, they got married almost immediately after that and they mm-hmm. two kids and they live in Beverly Hills and he became a huge important guy in the movie business. Um, mm-hmm. Kind of rewrote how international films are distributed and very like a very, he went from being a successful actor to a successful producer to um a very successful movie producer in the mm-hmm. industry. Um, and, in fact, Chicken Soup for the Soul uh, just did a deal where we bought his movie business. And, wow. Uh, mm-hmm. And, in fact, they have a, a movie that came out in January to critical acclaim mm-hmm. called Last Full Measure, which is about uh, an amazing, heroic Vietnam War experience this story mm-hmm. has never been told before and Rogers and Ebert said it was like the first, the best film they've seen so far of 2020, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So that's mm-hmm. Mark and Maggie Damon. That's the whole story. <laughs> it's just a beautiful story. When you see something like that, it's almost like kind of effortless. It's meant to be kind of thing. Totally that meant to be. <laughs> yes. Can you believe that she's told her mother when she was 12 that she was going to marry that man Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. then she did. I mean, what a coincidence. That's amazing. Chapter 1 also has a wonderful story that I sort of resonate in the sense of being a child that's adopted. The story is 15 Years by Lynn Jorgensen. Yeah, this is an incredible story. So Lynn spent six years having miscarriage after miscarriage, and then She was age 28, and she was really despondent because she didn't know if she'd ever have a baby. And so she decided that they should adopt, and most likely they would adopt a girl from China. And then a few months later, they were, you know, they had started the adoption Mm -hmm. process. She woke from this really painful, sad dream, and she wrote about it in her journal. In her dream, 
she watched as this young Asian couple very sadly and gently placed their newborn baby beside a rural well, and then she watched them retreat into the bushes, and then she saw that they were secretly watching the baby from a distance, hoping that somebody would find her and take care of her. And after a few minutes in this dream, a couple of local women showed up to draw water from the well, and they found the baby girl um, who was about six months old, and they you know, picked her up and took her away, and then the couple knew that she was going to be safe. Well, six months later, after this dream, Lynn and her husband were meeting with their adoption social worker, and they were shown photos of a one-year-old girl in China who had been found six months earlier abandoned by a well. So Lynn's dream had occurred at the same time that this baby girl was found, and it was under the same circumstances. So this really felt like it was meant to be, and so they adopted Song Lee, brought her home to America. And then when her daughter was in high school, they decided that they should take her to China to find her roots. Mm -hmm. And so the family went to China, and they went back to the orphanage where Song Lee had spent the six months after she was found at the well, and the same director was still there. And he took them to the well where Song Lee had been found, and Lynn couldn't believe it because it looked exactly the same as the well in her dream mm -hmm. from 15 years earlier. And there were some women standing by the well, and through an interpreter, they talked to the women, and the women found the two women who had found Song Lee when she was this abandoned six-month-old mm -hmm baby and those women saw her and were so thrilled that you know here she was back a happy healthy teenager um and it really seemed like lynn had seen the actual event of this young couple abandoning this little baby by the well because it looked like the exact same well as in her dream 15 years earlier so that was a really cool story it is it's a beautiful story and what it does is that it just brings the world together and it makes it look a whole lot smaller. <laughs> yeah, that's true. It really does. And whether she really dreamed about that well or a different well, mm -hmm. she had that dream months before she was offered this little girl who was the exact right age to be the little girl mm -hmm. she dreamt about, and all the circumstances were exactly the same. Yeah, it's totally amazing. Chapter 2, Divine Intervention, and this is a really cool story. I think it's very inspiring. The Yellow Hammer by Jennifer Carr. So this is an example of how people are so unselfish about sharing their stories because Jennifer shares that she was a recovering addict, and she had been clean for three years, but she was in an EMT training class and she just all of a sudden decided to steal a handful of diabetic syringes that she saw. And she says in her story, that's how it happens with us drug addicts. A sneaky little voice comes inside our heads and tells us a lie. The voice of addiction tells us we can drink responsibly or use a drug. Mm -hmm. but then she goes on to say, you know, when she's in her right frame of mind, she knows that that's not the truth. Well, she had used drugs and alcohol for 20 years until she got clean. And so here she was three years into being clean, and she's got this handful of syringes now. So she was very unhappy with herself. Like, why did she do that? And she went home from this EMT class, and she called her sponsor, Julie, left a message for her saying, you know, I need help. And then Jennifer decided she would go out for a run just to clear her mind. And so she was out for the run, kind of angry with herself, pounding the pavement, and then she saw this brand-new yellow hammer lying in the middle of the road. It must have fallen off a truck or something. So she picked up mm -hmm. this hammer and ran home with it. And when she got home, the phone was ringing, and it was her sponsor, Julie. And Jennifer told Julie about how she had stolen the syringes. And mm -hmm. Julie said, you need to grab a hammer, smash those syringes, and be <laughs> done with it. Well, where did the hammer come from? You know, Jennifer hadn't told Julie that she had just picked up this hammer and was holding it. Right. You know, Julie decides she needs to get a hammer. So Jennifer was kind of speechless. She took the syringes outside and stuck them on a tree stump and then smashed them to bits with that yellow mm -hmm. hammer. And then 
she was fine. And when she wrote this story, she had gone another year of being clean. So she was up to four years of being clean when she wrote the story, mm-hmm. which is really great. So right. I loved featuring that story. I mean, boy, does that give people hope. You know, not only that she found the hammer, but also that she was three years, now four years clean um, after mm-hmm. 20 years of being a drug addict. I mean, that's the kind of thing you want to see. So true. Well, three years is one thing, but when you talk about 20 years, that's a lifestyle. You just can't flip the switch. It was hard work, but she did it. Yes, and that's truly amazing. Chapter 3, Lost and Found, A Lesson in Faith by Linda Mello. Yeah, so Linda had gotten a really pretty little golden cross necklace from her mom when she had her first communion in the Catholic Church. And Linda loved wearing her little cross and, of course, wanted to wear it all the time. And one day, only two months after she had received it from her mom, she realized she had lost it. She looked everywhere, and she couldn't find it. And then her mom told her to pray to St. Anthony, who's the saint for lost things, but Mm -hmm. Linda got it wrong and prayed to St. Christopher, who's the saint for something else. (laughs) I think St. Christopher might be hanging in cars. I'm not sure. But anyway, then she finally told her mom, you know, I prayed to St. Christopher and it didn't work. And her mom said, well, you were supposed to pray to St. Anthony. So she did that for a while, but it still didn't work. And then two decades passed. And Linda was still thinking about that gold cross that she lost. And then one day she took her three children to visit her mom, and the kids were playing outside. And then all of a sudden, one of her daughters burst through the front door, and she was holding something. And she said, look, Mommy, see what I found? Isn't it beautiful? It was the golden cross Mm -hmm. dangling from its delicate little chain. It was the exact one that Linda had lost two decades (laughs) earlier. Well, (laughs) the whole neighborhood had changed But there Mm -hmm. was this old walnut tree next to this old fence. And even though the house on the other side of the fence was gone and had now been replaced by a parking lot, that's where her daughter found the cross. And in the old days, the house Mm -hmm. that was now gone was the house that Linda's friend Shirley lived in. So she Mm -hmm. must have been playing by that tree and that fence and playing with her friend Shirley when the cross fell off. But how her daughter found it, 20 years later, and her daughter said she wasn't digging in the dirt or anything. She just walked by and saw something (laughs) like lights glinting from the ground Mm -hmm. and leaned Mm -hmm. over and picked up this cross that was perfect, clean, shiny, looking like it was still new. Like, Mm -hmm. how was it there 20 Mm -hmm. years later? A parking lot had been put in next to this tree. A house had been torn down. 20 years' worth of people had walked by that location (laughs) Earth had moved, right? Like leaves had crumbled and decomposed. How this necklace was sitting on the top of the dirt 20 years later for Linda's daughter to find it. No one else found it. Linda's daughter (laughs) found it. Pretty incredible. Well, the moral of the story is you prayed to the wrong saint. I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) It's a wonderful story. Wonderful story. In Chapter 4, do you have a favorite story? Um. I really like this story called Iowa Signs that's by Mm -hmm. um, Lori Winslow Sargent. It's really cool because it's more like an everyday miracle. So Mm -hmm. Lori's family lived in Washington State, but then her husband got a new job that he really wanted to take, and but it was in Iowa. There's a big difference between Washington State and (laughs) Iowa, besides the fact that they're you know at least a thousand miles apart. Like that's just Iowa's flat and farm country. Right. Washington State, you know, they were on the water, and you know, it was a completely different kind of lifestyle. And the family was not that enthusiastic. And Lori prayed to God to like send her some signs to help her decide what to do. Well, then what happened was all of a sudden they started getting all these signs. So they were on the interstate, and they pulled off to get gas, you know, in some random location. And the street was called Iowa Street. And then they started seeing Iowa license plates everywhere in Washington (laughs) State. And then they pulled into their garage one day, and Lori heard this voice yell, Iowa. And she was so shocked, turned out that it was a radio that was on in the garage. (laughs) And then 
they kept seeing more and more signs. So she was in a writer's group, and she was telling them all, you know, like, I don't know what to do. I don't know if we should move to Ames, Iowa. Well, all of a sudden, one friend from the writing group said, I just did a crossword puzzle, and I needed a four-letter word for a city in Iowa with a university. And, of course, the answer was Ames. <laughs> you know, and then, and she had, and then another um, somebody um, was talking about a book by a Reverend Ames in Iowa. And mm-hmm. so Lori looked up the author and discovered that the author of that book had lived in both Washington State and Iowa, which is mm-hmm. a weird coincidence. Mm-hmm. And right. just more and more times, you know, Ames, Iowa kept turning up <laughs> in her daily life. They ended up moving uh. to Iowa. They discovered they really loved living there. Um, and then I guess her final sign that they'd made the right decision was she had this kind of odd metal Christmas ornament that that looked like a sailboat weather vane, mm-hmm. um, but kind of made sense because they had lived in Washington State, you know, which is water-oriented. And then mm-hmm. out the window one day at the garage that they had and realized that on the garage roof was a sailboat weather vane that looked exactly like their Christmas ornament. Why somebody had a sailboat weather vane on a roof in Iowa, she did not know, but that was like her final sign that they <laughs> definitely made the right decision. That's really cute. That's a wonderful story. That's amazing. <laughs> Beautiful, totally beautiful. You're listening to From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio. Our podcasts are available on Apple's iTunes, Stitches Radio, Blueberry Podcasting, TuneIn Radio, Mixcloud, and Google Play. My guest is Amy Newmark, the publisher and editor-in-chief for Chicken Soup for the Soul. We're having a conversation about their first book for this year, Chicken Soup for the Soul, Believe in Miracles, 101 Stories of Hope, Answered Prayers, and Divine Intervention. I'm your host, Johnny Tan. Amy, in Chapter 5, How Did That Happen? A Pony from Heaven by Annie Reese. That's a wonderful story. Yeah, her family wanted to get a horse, but it turned out what her kids really wanted was a horse (laughs) that was going to have a baby. They wanted an Mm -hmm. adult horse and a baby horse, but they couldn't afford to buy two horses or to buy a pregnant horse. And so they finally settled, and they bought a nice little female horse named Strawberry. And the kids loved her. And the farmer who they bought her from confirmed, you know, she's not been bred, so you're just buying this horse. And then one day the kids went out to visit the horse, and she had given birth to a baby horse. <laughs> and nobody had known she was pregnant, and sure enough she was. So they ended up with the baby horse that the kids had been praying for. See? Answer prayers. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Chapter 6, Perfect Timing, My Angels Had Fatters by Doran Weber. Yeah, so Doran was having this lovely, lazy day at home, and she was sitting outside reading on her deck, and she was listening to the birds and the squirrels, and then all of a sudden she realized it had grown really quiet, and she looked around and discovered that there was a hawk right above her. So Everybody had gotten quiet because they were afraid of the hawk. And then the hawk started screeching and flapping her wings frantically while looking directly at Doran. Well, Doran is a professional photographer, so she thought, I'm going to get a great shot of this hawk. So she went into the house to get her camera, and she had just entered the house to get the camera when she heard this loud crashing sound outside. And the tree limb that the hawk had been sitting on had broken off, and it had fallen, and it had crushed the deck, and the chair in which Dorian had been seated only a minute before. And the hawk was fine. He just flew onto a different branch. <laughs> made eye contact with Dorian, you know, as if he was saying, see, I saved mm-hmm. you. And then he flew away. <laughs> so that was a really neat story. It is. It is. And these are the little things that we sometimes don't pay attention to, the everyday things that's happening. Yeah, I think you're right. Chapter... Seven, Answered Prayers, The Rosary in Mom's Purse. And this is a wonderful, touching story, but it's a wonderful story. By Gloria Pepe. Yeah, so Gloria uh, was trying to get 
her two children back to college and prepare for teaching eighth grade for another year and also taking care of her terminally ill mother. Um, and her mother was in terrible pain, even though hospice said that she was receiving the correct doses of her medication. And Gloria just couldn't understand why her mother had to suffer this way. Uh, but she had to take one of the kids off to college, so off she went with her husband. Um, and her son had pointed out that her mother's purse was in the car before they left, but, you know, they were in a rush. Gloria said, well, Mom doesn't need her purse, so just leave it in the car. We'll take it with us and bring it back. And so on their way home from dropping off their son at college, they stopped off at this place in Oriesville, New York, called the National Shrine of the North American Martyrs. And at that point, as they're visiting the shrine, Gloria wished that she had a rosary with her so that she could pray for her mother because there was this shrub there that was covered with rosaries in front of a statue of the Virgin Mary. And then Gloria remembered that her mother's purse was in the trunk of the car, and her mother's her mother always had a rosary in her purse. So she got the rosary, and she prayed with it, and she asked for her mother's pain to be taken away so that she could die in peace. And sure enough, when she got home, her mother didn't need pain medication anymore, and she went for the next three months without ever needing pain medication again, and she died in peace. It's amazing. It's a wonderful miracle. Chapter 8, Amazing Coincidences, An Unbreakable Bond by Christy Blakeway. So this was a really amazing coincidence, and I started the chapter with it. So um, Christy was helping homeless people in Vancouver um, in the downtown east side neighborhood, which is a really poor neighborhood in Vancouver. And she realized that a lot of people were handing out food and clothing to the homeless. So she started a different way of helping them. She and her students created greeting cards that the homeless people could write greeting cards to relatives or friends they had lost track of, and then the kids would help them find those relatives and send the greeting cards to them. And so there was one woman named Cindy who was just a mess. Um, she was battling hepatitis. She was HIV positive, and she was a heroin addict. Um, but she hung on to hope because she had given up a daughter for adoption 27 years earlier, and she still hoped to one day meet her daughter. So she knew her daughter's birth date and her daughter's name. And so Christy actually helped her find her daughter. And when Christy reached the daughter, the daughter, it turned out, was an addict as well and had really struggled. But she had read a book called um, the realm of hungry ghosts, and she had recovered from her addiction because of this book. And there had been a particular chapter in this book called The Pregnancy Journal, and it was about a woman who had journaled about her own battle with addiction during pregnancy and then about the fact that she gave up the baby. Mm -hmm. Well, that one story had saved Paige's life. This is the daughter, Paige. Mm-hmm. But little did she know that that story was actually about her own mother. Her mother was the one who had given the story to this book because the book was about homeless people in Vancouver. Mm -hmm. And here Paige was across Canada in Ontario reading this story, and this one story in the book saved her life. It put her on the path to recovery. So her mother unknowingly had saved her daughter's life before she even knew where she was and they ended up getting together and it was a really great story a really wonderful happy ending for them extremely powerful and that's the kind of thing where i think if we allow things to happen and certain things within that's beyond our realm just happen to move us and these are the kind of amazing coincidences that happens that truly are just phenomenal totally phenomenal chapter nine comfort from beyond I Ask for a Sign by Jen Bono. So a lot of people, when they lose someone, they look for some kind of sign. And sometimes they've discussed it ahead of time, or sometimes just a sign comes along and they know it's from mm -hmm. the person they've lost. So in Jan's case, she and her fiancé 
were sitting on a rock at the beach watching sea turtles and discussing a very difficult topic, which was his terminal disease. And he asked Jan to make sure she brought some of his ashes to this spot on this beautiful tropical island. So she promised that she would, but she said, you have to promise me that you're going to send me a sign, something so big and amazing and specific <laughs> that I can't miss it. So two years later, he had died, and Jan was back on that island with his ashes. And she went to that spot where they had sat, that very spot. And she looked out at the ocean and thought about, you know, when she sat there with him. And she said, I'm here. Now bring me some turtles. And sure enough, two turtles came up right <laughs> in front of her, rolled on their sides with their fins in the air as if they were saluting her, and then swam <laughs> away. And then moments later, a yellow butterfly came and circled around her. And then she said, well, all I need now to make my day complete is a hummingbird. But there were no hummingbirds on that island. But then this red-crested cardinal, cardinal fluttered to the sand right by the end of her beach towel and walked back and forth in front of her. And then she kept seeing more and more signs that day. Mm -hmm. The ultimate sign came when she visited an art gallery near her hotel and on one wall they had an enormous photograph and when she sat down to look at this photograph it was the exact rock where she had sat earlier when she released the ashes into the water which was the same rock that she sat on with her fiance two years before so she felt very comforted and all of these signs had come together for her to make her feel that she really was receiving a sign from her fiancé that he was okay and he was saying hello to her. It's a beautiful story, and in many ways it's a love story, but it's just that spiritual connection that we all have. It's just amazing. It's a beautiful story. Chapter 10, Miraculous Healing, speaking about lightning, One in a Million by Tim Burke. Totally awesome story. Yeah, this was really incredible and for people going through medical issues really gives you hope so uh, Tim and his family were out you know by a bay on Long Island one day and it started to rain really hard and so his daughter Nicole jumped into the driver's seat but he said no you're a new driver I don't want you driving in this horrendous rainstorm so uh, get out and I'll switch seats with you so she gets out and walks around the car, and it was like a scene from a horror movie. There was this deafening blast of thunder and then this brilliant flash of light, and the lightning hit Nicole and slammed her to the ground. And then she lay there perfectly still, you know, pale as a ghost. There was blood running from her ear and pooling beneath her head. Tim felt for a pulse. He couldn't find one. She looked like she was dead. So they called 911, but then they had to wait. You know, they out, out by this bay. They had to wait for the emergency people to come. Finally, they came, took her to the hospital. Um, she was still alive, you know, very little respiration, but a little bit. Um, weren't sure how long her brain had been deprived of oxygen. Didn't know how damaged she was because her skull had cracked when she had fallen backwards onto the pavement after she was struck by the lightning. Um, now she had just she had just sung her first solo at the church, and she loved singing so much. And so they were just heartbroken. I mean, she was she had sung like an angel just before this whole lightning thing happened. Anyway, she finally made it through. The doctor was amazed. He said. To survive a direct lightning hit like that and the only permanent damage suffered is a shattered eardrum, well, it's remarkable, one in a million. And that's what ended up happening. She did lose one eardrum. That was where he saw the blood coming out of her ear and pooling beneath her head. Mm -hmm. But she could still hear from her other ear. And a month later, she was back in the church with her beautiful voice filling the sanctuary, singing like an angel again. It's an amazing story. And that leads us to another truly phenomenal story. Chapter 11, Angels by Our Sides, The Day I Died by Robert Turiel. 
Yeah, so Robert Cuccio, um, I actually interviewed him and his wife, Cheryl, on the Chicken Soup mm-hmm. for the Souls podcast. Rob was only in his 30s, but he kept feeling like there was something wrong with his heart, and he kept having episodes of chest pain, but he was only in his 30s, and he was active. So this cardiologist he was going to kept saying, there's nothing wrong with you. You're having panic attacks. Well, turned out one night he woke Cheryl up, and he was having a heart attack. He was sure of it. And he was a nurse, so he knew what he was Mm -hmm. talking about. So they rushed to the hospital, and he actually walked into the hospital under his own steam. And the moment he got there, he suffered a massive heart attack. And the doctors worked on him for... 33 minutes, and they couldn't bring him back. So the doctor went out to talk to Cheryl and said, we can't save your husband. He's, he's gone. He's dead. And she said, you go back in there, and you keep working on him. I do not accept that. I do not believe he's dead. I would be able to feel it if he were dead. And so the doctor said, okay, but I'm, I'm only going to give it 10 more minutes. So he went back in. And she was watching a clock, and at the eight-minute mark, all of a sudden she heard yelling and cheering from behind the curtain where they were working on her husband, and they had gotten him back. But he had been without oxygen for 43 minutes, and they didn't have any idea what kind of state he would be in. He was in a coma for almost the next month. And when he finally finally came to... As he describes it, they were asking me all these really stupid questions, like, <laughs> what year was it, and did I know the names of my children? And his brain was fine. I mean, he has suffered a little bit of permanent damage, and he had mm-hmm. to relearn walking and talking and you know, eating and swallowing and all of the stuff that you have to relearn after you're in a coma for weeks. But he's back to being a nurse again, and... It was because she had forced that doctor to go back in and give him 10 more minutes of CPR, and they brought him back. It's truly a remarkable story, and I'm glad that his wife was very persistent. Well, he said that while he was lying there dead, this blonde angel came to him, and he thought, oh, this must be my guardian angel, and he felt very serene. He said he was in this Mm -hmm. incredibly serene place and he saw this blue light not a white light which a lot of people talk about he said it was blue Mm -hmm. but a really weird shade of blue he's never seen anywhere else and there was this threshold and he wanted to walk through this threshold because the blue light was in there and he felt really good and serene and happy and everything was good and he He was like, I'll walk through this threshold. And the angel said, no, you're not going. And, of course, that's when he came back from the dead. But he Mm -hmm. feels like if he had actually crossed that threshold, he never would have come back. Is there a story that moved you that we have not talked about? Um, Yeah, there was another lost and found story that I found pretty incredible. So Mm -hmm. uh, this woman, Andrea, wrote about her dad who had lost his wedding band and he had lost it 20 years into his marriage, and, and then his wife bought him a replacement wedding band, and he lost that one, too. So then she just gave up. <laughs> then about three decades after her father lost his original wedding band, Andrea and her husband were visiting their children during parents' weekend at their camp in New York, and they were walking up this steep one-mile road to get back to their car, And Andrea was looking down because she was just trying to avoid tripping over a rock or a pothole or anything. She wasn't Mm -hmm. looking for anything. But then she saw this round thing hidden in the dirt of this road, and it wasn't shiny or remarkable in any way. It really just looked like some kind of disc that might have fallen out of somebody's toolbox. And her husband was like, let's go, go, stop. Don't don't stop and pick up trash from the road Mm -hmm. she said no Mm -hmm. I have to pick this up I don't know why but I have to pick it up so she picked it up and she kind of got some of the dirt off it rolled it around in her palm and realized that she was holding what looked like a wedding band (laughs) and then she wiped away the caked on dirt from the ring and Mm -hmm. it was a gold wedding band and then she looked inside it 
and it said Zwinka 68. Well, Zwinka <laughs> was her mother's nickname, and her parents had gotten married in 1968. And this was the camp that Andrea had gone to as a child, and her father mm-hmm. had visited her at this camp and had walked on this same road. And apparently, his ring had fallen off there 30 years earlier. He didn't know where he had lost it. But how that ring survived (laughs) three decades on a dirt road, on a hill, being buried under New York, you know, upstate New York snowstorms, rain, mud, heavy machinery, tractors, (laughs) food service trucks going up and down the hills, you know, from the camp. Right. Marching campers. How did no one else ever find that ring? How was it not buried inches under or thrown (laughs) off the side of the road into the woods? That right. ring somehow had survived all that time, and Andrea was the one who found it. Pretty incredible. Extremely incredible. That's amazing. Can you give us a quick preview of Chicken Soup's 2020 lineup? Oh, sure. We have a very wonderful book coming out in uh, March called Chicken Soup for the Soul, The Magic of Moms, which is going to be mm-hmm. a great you know, Mother's Day gift. And then... We have a really fun book coming out in April called Laughter is the Best Medicine. I just finished editing it, and I must have looked like an idiot because I kept laughing out loud <laughs> in the office. The stories are so funny. I, I highly recommend that as an alternative to reading the news. You know, mm-hmm. read our Chicken Soup and Soul Laughter is the Best Medicine book during the height of the primaries, you know. There you April go. May. I mean, yeah, just, just, you know, do a news cleanse for a few days and read these funny <laughs> stories. And then in May, to finish off the spring, we're coming out with a book called Chicken Soup for the Soul, Be You. Mm-hmm. Be You. This is for women. It's about female empowerment, affirmations, being yourself, being happy with yourself. Um, it's going to be a really positive book for women of all ages, and we're making sure that we have a lot for young women because they often suffer a lot from Mm -hmm. self-confidence problems, and we want to help them with that. So that's what's coming up this spring from Chicken Soup for the Soul. Fantastic. As we close the show, what recipes for living would you like to share with our listeners this morning? I would say, based on some of the things I learned from Believe in Miracles, here are five ingredients for a recipe for living. One would would be to pay attention to your dreams. Another would be don't be afraid to listen to that little voice inside you. Another is keep your eyes open for those life-changing coincidences. Another is don't be afraid to ask for what you need, whether it's in prayer or just asking somebody directly. And finally, do look for signs from the people you've lost because those signs may be there waiting to comfort you. Wonderful. Amy, thank you for the great recipes for living and for spending this hour with me on From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio. To all our listeners, please join me in two weeks, Tuesday morning, February 18th. My guests will be Catherine Wessenberg and Joycelyn Montanaro. They are co-authors of the recently released Beyond Ever After, a heart-to-heart journey through death and the afterlife. Catherine has been sharing her unique ability to communicate and dialogue with God, the deceased, and coma patients. To retain a lasting record of these communications, Catherine writes the conversations longhand as they occurred, calling them writings. Prior to writing Beyond Ever After, Jocelyn was a lawyer working with divorcing couples, criminal defendants, and in general litigation. In Beyond Ever After, Catherine and Joycelyn offer an all-encompassing message of hope, connection, and love. Catherine shares her psychic gift, allowing Joycelyn to communicate with her husband, Kevin, who is dying of brain cancer, both while in a coma and after his death. Through several sessions between Catherine, Joycelyn, and Kevin, Catherine's God writings are testimonials to the authentic divine connection that can explain our view of the soul and spirit as well as reality. Catherine, Jocelyn, and I will be having a conversation about their remarkable life's journey and their powerful, revealing book. For additional information about this show 
and future shows, please go to fmmktalkradio.com. Thank you for listening, and have a blessed week. As always, Amy, it has been a true pleasure. Thank you again, and have a blessed day. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye.